I'd like to welcome you all to Sunday service. My name is Nayaswami Ananta. This is Nayaswami Maria. We're going to have the talk given by Aaron today. And I'd like to thank you all for coming. And um, it, it adds a lot to the service when your devotion, enthusiasm come, whether you're online or here in person. Thank you for making the effort to come and join us. Uh, I'm supposed to welcome our uh, um, guests to the Expanding Light uh, that are here. I'd also like to welcome the people that are here for the first time. If this is the first time you've been to the Temple of Light or to Ananda, make yourself at home. We have greeters at the end. You can uh, just ask questions if you have them or just uh, let us know what you need. Uh, we're here to serve. Thank you for coming. I'd like to read from Rays of the Same Light. And our topic this week is, By Thinking, Can We Arrive at Understanding? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. There are many places in the Gospels where we see Jesus in open conflict with the Pharisees, that is to say, with man-made as opposed to true mystical tradition. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 15, we see a good example of how they and he locked horns. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem came and asked Jesus, why do your disciples break our ancient tradition and eat their food without washing their hands properly first? Jesus, after scolding them for their hypocrisy in observing lesser rules so carefully, while ignoring the much more important ones, said, listen and understand this thoroughly. It is not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him common or unclean. It is what comes out of a man's mouth that makes him unclean. It wasn't that Jesus counseled against such wholesome practices as washing one's hands before eating. In an age, however, when lesser rules were given too much importance relative to the truly important observances, cleansing the heart of impure desires, for example, he emphasized the supreme importance of loving God and of communing with him. The Pharisees, the orthodox religionists of his day, in other words, had brought true religion down to a level of intellectual hair-splitting. They mistakenly considered the way to understanding to lie through a minefield of definitions, which they tried to refine to ultimate exactitude. Jesus taught, however, that the intellect alone can never lead one to truth. Without love, indeed, there is no ultimate verity. Without fixity of purpose, born of the heart's devotion, the intellect wanders endlessly. It cannot settle for long on anything. As the Bhagavad Gita says in the second chapter, the intellects of those who lack fixity of spiritual purpose are inconstant, their interests endlessly ramified. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh. Oh. 
start with a reading from Whispers from Eternity by Paramhansa Yogananda. O divine heart, I will hunt for thee in the forest of my soul. O divine heart, I ran after thee equipped with the spears of selfish desire. Thou didst fly before me. I raced after thee shouting prayers loudly, but my voice drove thee from me by the gusts of my restlessness. The noise I made only frightened thee away. Stealthily, then, I crept up to thee and cast the dart of my concentration. Alas, my hand unsteadily shook, and thou didst bound away. As thou didst so, however, thy hooves echoed. Without devotion thou art a poor, poor marksman. With firm devotion then, holding fast the dart of meditation, I crept forward. Thy divine hoofbeats came stealing back, but I heard thee whisper, I am beyond thy mental dart, far beyond. At last, despairing, I entered the cave of celestial love, and there at last, lo, thou, the divine heart, camest willingly into my heart. Well, that's the divine drama right there, isn't it? We're all on that journey, somewhere on that journey. I had a dream this week um, that I was preparing for heart surgery. Somehow I ended up in the hospital in the dream, and I knew I was going to be having heart surgery the next morning. And the doctor came in and was talking to the person in the bed next to me, and answering their questions, and I realized, wow, I have some questions here. What am, I, <laughs> what am I doing here? What's this surgery all about? I don't understand. And so I was waiting for the doctor to be finished, and before I knew it, he had left. I thought, okay, well, maybe he's gonna come back. I'll wait. So I'm waiting for him to come back. And then it occurs to me, the night's getting on, and the surgery's in the morning, so I go looking where, you know, for the doctor. And it's starting to dawn on me that perhaps my questions are not going to get answered and that I might have to face this surgery. And there's this very dim thought in the back of my mind that um, what if I have to just trust God? <laughs> Has that occurred to anyone here, perhaps? <laughs> um, but when I woke up, the overwhelming feeling was just that feeling of dissatisfaction, of not understanding, of not having my my questions answered. And I think a lot of us have that experience in life where, um, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, we um, look for answers in a lot of different places, in our jobs, in our relationships. We're looking for something and we get to a point where we realize, no, there's still something more. There's still something more that I'm looking for. This isn't it. This isn't answering my questions. We're looking for something, I mean, we have endless amounts of information available to us in our world today. And yet, there's still this longing that we have for something real, for something true. It's not quite giving us what we're looking for. And as we go through this life, or maybe many lifetimes, we 
begin to realize that um, everything in this world, sorry to break it to you, everything in this world <laughs> will end in some dissatisfaction or disappointment. There's nothing um, except the search for God. And I think that's what we're all doing here today. We're looking for something more. Um, you know, the job, the relationship, the diet, the new trip, the house, the car, whatever it is that we think is going to bring us those answers, that satisfaction, that sense of knowing and connection, it just doesn't add up. And, um, you know, by thinking, can we arrive at understanding? No, it can only take us so far. The mind can only take us so far. And that's where devotion enters. When all else fails, devotion begins to awaken in us. And um, I love what Swami says in the reading this morning on devotion. It's no sentiment. I think some people might think, I'm not very devotional, I'm not a very you know, touchy-feely kind of person, that's not really my thing. But we all are devotional. Everyone that's here this morning, everyone that's watching, you know, it's that deep longing to commune with and know the only reality there is. Reality with a capital R, right? The only reality there is. We all have that longing for something more, else we wouldn't be here, right? We all have that devotion. So when all else fails, we come to the search for God, come to that journey, just like that little bird that we talk about every weekend in the Festival of Light. And um, I really love also the image of devotion as a sword, right? It really, it's a powerful tool, you know? It's not any weak little feeling, right? It's a strong weapon to fight against delusion, right? So if we imagine that our journey, we start out on the path and we're walking through the woods and we're on the path to start, we emerge from our home in God, we're on the path, we're doing good, everything seems clear, and then all of a sudden, somehow we're in this tangle of brambles. Or maybe we're in that tangle, we've gotten off the path, we don't realize it for a while, we're kind of enjoying it, the birds are singing, we're just kind of wandering through the woods, and all seems good. And then there's this moment where, oh, wait a minute, I'm not on the path anymore, I don't want to, this is not where I meant to be. This is not where I was headed. And that's when devotion awakens, that longing. I want to get back to the path. That's what takes us there, right? That sort of devotion is our concentration, our fixity of purpose. Nothing matters but God. Nothing matters but that search for what is real. And so we use our sword of devotion to clear away that delusion, that darkness, the habits, the um, temptations, whatever it is that's getting in the way of being near to God, right? And finally, we find, oh, finally, I'm back on the path. This is where I started. Okay, great. Can start to make some progress again. And when we get on the path, we find there's, there are others there, and there's the guru. He's cleared the path for us. And all we need to do to stay on the path is stay close to him, keep him close in our heart, right? That beautiful chant, um, think ye in thy heart, 
lotus feet of my guru, right? He'll carry us over that ocean of delusion. We just have to keep that awake in our hearts, keep thinking of God. So we can use the mind to help us, but it's not what's going to get us there in the end, right? We can use the mind to help think of God and do japa throughout the day to remind us, but it's not going to take us there. So there are many um, tools. I'll just say also, just I don't think it was a coincidence that it was heart surgery that I was preparing for. <laughs> Did anyone else <laughs> tune into that? I think, um, you know, it's the grace of the guru through our service and through our meditation and especially through Kriya that is doing that heart surgery every day. You know, it's just clearing that inner path. Because this is the path, you know, the whole path is from the base of the spine to the spiritual eye. And that's where all those things need to be cleared away. And how do we do that through our practices, right? Um, so there are many, uh, many paths to God. There are many ways to get there. And our intellect can enjoy kind of going down any one of them. And, and that can work for a time. But if we really want to get there, we have to pick a path and follow it all the way. Um, you know, we look even just at the teachings of this path, of Yogananda and of Swami Kriyananda, the books that they've written, all the different topics, all the different ways that spirituality can be brought into all the different aspects of our lives, right? Our relationships, our work, our health, our in education, the art, and music, and that's um, wonderful. But how do we, how do we really do that every day, right? Where do we put our focus? Right? It can, we can get lost even just on this one path with there's so many different <laughs> ways to go and things to focus on. Do I eat right or do I, you know, do, <laughs> should I focus on my relationships or am I trying to be nice to be, you know, where, where do I start? <laughs> you know, it can, it can feel a little, I think that's a knowing laughter. <laughs> it can feel a little overwhelming even once I found this one, you know, path that, oh, this is my path, yes, and this is my guru and I'm going for it. Um, I think that's the fixity of purpose. Just keep, you know, that question, what matters most? You know, what really matters? And the answer again and again is love God. It's your love for God and God's love for you. That's going to take you there. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit too about some of the other tools in education for life. I'm, uh, I teach at the Living Wisdom School here at Ananda, and we use a philosophy called Education for Life, um, which is based on the teachings of yoga. Um, and in Education for Life, we have something that we call tools of maturity. And they're just different aspects of our being that we're trying to develop. We all have them, you know, and intellect is one of them, but there's also feeling, there's our body, our physical being, and our will. And these are, um, mirrored, these are based on the um, four paths of yoga that are mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita. So the path of the body is the uh, karma yogi, the path of service, right? The path of um, the intellect is jnana yoga, or the yoga of wisdom and discrimination. And we have the willpower, which is the raja yoga, that's the royal yoga. So we need willpower for every Everything that we do infuses everything. And then we have devotion, the feeling, the bhakti yoga. 
So um, each of these areas can be used to help us move forward on the path. We have our sort of devotion to clear the path, but then how do we keep moving forward, right? We need to use all these different aspects of ourselves and, and, and engage all of them in that single-pointed pursuit towards God, right? So um, through the body, right, the physical body, we can offer service. That's our karma yoga. And I just look out in the crowd and I just see a wonderful sea of karma yogis here, all of you. It's wonderful to get to live here and serve with all of you. Um, our service really to others is what draws us forward on the path. It keeps us from staying still and getting lost and thinking only of ourselves, right? It keeps us moving forward. A beautiful example of this is the life of St. Francis. Um, when he was first awakening and um, starting to draw away from his life, his former life of luxury, and um, he was starting to spend more time meditating, going to the caves in near Assisi. And he was riding on his horse one day, and in the distance he saw a leper. And at that time, leprosy was just terrifying, horrifying to people. Everybody was afraid of it. And even to Francis, he saw this leper in the distance, and he was like, okay, I got to get out of here. So, you know, he kicks his horse and suddenly the horse starts going towards the leper, you know? So <laughs> his mind is saying one thing, I'm afraid, I need to get out of here. But his heart is drawing him forward and his body, right? It's drawing him forward towards this leper. And when he gets there, he jumps off. Um, but even as he's approaching, I mean, it, the, the sight, the smell, everything is just, I won't go into the detail, it's quite graphic, but you can imagine it, it was not a pleasant experience. It's not something you want to ride towards particularly, but something compelled him. And um, as he gets there, he jumps off the horse and he offers this person all the money that he had. And um, he's ready to take off again. And something in him compels him to take the person's hand and kiss, kiss their hand. And he's just flooded with such bliss, with a happiness that he's never known. It's beyond all reason, beyond all explanation. And that's what, that's what that love for God does for us. It just takes us beyond all reason. I think, you know, we have touches of that in our, in our human relationships. You know, I see a lot of parents in the audience, and I think that, you know, there's an experience of that what you'll do for the love of a child is just beyond all reason, what you do for the people that you love, right? When we can direct that love to God, how much more powerful it can be. So that example of St. Francis just shows us how when we're willing to serve others, when we follow our heart, right, it just draws us forward on the path. We don't run away, right? We go towards, we get closer to God. Ah. The intellect is another aspect of ourselves, and we need to learn how to use it appropriately, right? Um, Swami says, the intellect alone can never lead one to truth. So there's the answer right there. Without love, indeed, there is no ultimate verity. 
our minds are a part of us, but what do we do with it, right? Do we let our minds control us, or do we have control over our minds through concentration? We have the practice of Hong Sa, which Paramahansa Yogananda called the highest technique of concentration, right? I, thinking about it, and I think the, the way we use our mind, where we put our mind, is sort of which way we're facing on the path, right? So if service brings us forward, <clears throat> service draws us forward on the path, our intellect, our mind, um, determines which way we're facing, right? What, what are we focusing on? Where is our concentration? If we're turned towards our desires or what's happening out in the world or whatever it is that can distract us, right? We can turn, get turned away from our goal. Um, a friend of mine recently shared a powerful experience of using japa, which is repetition of the name of God. Um, and it's a beautiful t tool for disciplining the intellect, for disciplining the mind throughout the day, for just maintaining that concentration as we go through the day. Because, you know, of course, in the morning and the evening, we're practicing our concentration with our techniques, but then there's that whole rest of the day in between. Um, so she'd been going through this period of just a lot of confusion, really feeling um, there's something I'm meant to be doing, I don't know what it is, I don't know where to go, and just going down endless avenues of, um, we call them rabbit holes when I talk with her, you know, of, well, what if this, and then this, and, oh, or if I got this job, and then this, and what, you know, and just all the what ifs, right, and just, in, you know, somewhat enjoying going down those little um, rabbit holes, so to speak, but always kind of coming up empty, ultimately. And so she shared with me recently that um, she started practicing japa, uh, saying, Babaji, bless and guide my life. Babaji, bless and guide my life. Babaji, bless and guide my life. And she just over and over, she said, I did it like a thousand, I don't know how many times. And she sat to meditate that day, and the clarity was just instant. It was just there. It had just cleared away all that, um, all that confusion, right? To just keep your mind focused on God. Whatever manifestation that is for her, that was Babaji. For some of you, it might be Yogananda or Divine Mother, right? Some image or some, something that helps you connect with that light. So using our thoughts, using our intellect to direct us towards God, not get turned away. And then there's willpower. Ultimately, just don't give up. <laughs> That's the short version, right? It's persist. Just keep going in whatever you're doing. Whatever's in front of you, that's what you need to awaken. Just do that. Don't worry too much about it. <laughs> the mind loves to get lost and worry about all the different possibilities, but just do what's in front of you and do it with your whole being as best you can. Um, I love uh, this what Swami Kriyananda shared about uh, Yogananda, which is that whenever he would um, correct or offer, uh, you know, some discipline, you never left feeling discouraged. You always left feeling encouraged. I don't know how often I've had that experience. 
You know, often when we receive some sort of correction, there's a feeling of, oh, I blew it. You know, you, you start to feel discouraged, but don't let that take over. He said, that's Maya. Discouragement is Maya, is delusion. It's Satan trying to take you off the path, trying to break your will. So anytime you have those discouraging thoughts, just know that's not the guru. Don't listen to that. <laughs> that's not where you want to go. So our heart's devotion um, filters through all of these. You know, there's, you just can't develop in just one area or only practice in one way. All of these are so interconnected. Um, and our heart's devotion really helps us attune to what matters most. I had um, a really, I have many beautiful experiences in the classroom and it's always hard to figure out which the one I want to share. Um, so, I had a student who was really struggling to learn um, for many different reasons. Um, we were really trying to help the student learn to read, particularly. And I teach second and third grade. And um, we'd been doing things for years, you know, that we have a beautiful tutoring program and one-on-one uh, -on -one instruction and just lots of different things. And, um, working with different people and sending her here and sending her there and you know just what could we do talking with the other teachers how can we help this student learn to read how can we help the student really be successful right and um, it just I can't explain it it's just the grace that just comes in sometimes with some insight um, it just occurred to me you know it doesn't matter if she ever learns to read that's not what matters I mean, of course, we want that to happen, but that's not what's most important here. In that moment, it wasn't what was most important. What she needed was to feel safe. She needed to feel connected. She needed to feel that love that, you know, that it was, um, that we were there for her, you know, to just feel encouraged, right? And um, it's just a beautiful reminder. We can get so lost in what we think matters. But really, if we can take that moment of stillness to just tune in to what does really matter in this. And again and again, it's love, it's connection, right? That's what really matters. So don't settle. Perfection is the goal. Love is the goal, right? And our willpower is going to help us get there and our devotion and our intellect, all those different parts of ourselves. Um, and as we go along, we might um, mess up. There's a chance, right? <laughs> Maybe once or twice. <laughs> um, but the thing is, uh, you know, the, the reading today was a little bit about, you know, the rules in scripture and following the rules. And, and, you know, what Jesus is really asking is like, what really matters here? You know, like, what's really important? Is it really important that we wash our hands? Yes, but don't get caught on just that, right? Um, God isn't pleased or displeased. We can't get there just by following the rules. I think a lot of us have tried that, right? A lot of us are really good at following the rules, right? And um, it just, it only gets you, even that only gets you so far. Even if you're following the best rules there are, you know, it still only gets you so far. You still need that heart's devotion to get you that last bit, that love for God and that God's and receiving God's love for you. 
So there's a beautiful example from Autobiography of a Yogi. That's um, in right at the start of the chapter, an experience in cosmic consciousness. And it's such a powerful, short little um, interaction between Yogananda and his guru, Sri Yukteswar. And there's so much that happens in that chapter later on that I think this part gets overlooked. But it's a very powerful um, reminder of God's unconditional love for us, that no matter what we do, no matter where we go, no matter how lost we get, he's there, and all he wants is our own happiness. So I'm just going to read this um, directly. So Yogananda has, in the previous chapter, he's, <laughs> he's escaped. He's tried to flee to the um, Himalayas. He keeps thinking that's where his uh, experience of consciousness is going to come from. He's, he needs to get to the Himalayas. So against his guru's wishes, he flees, and then he comes back. And he says, I am here, Guruji. My shamefacedness spoke more eloquently for me. Let us go into the kitchen and find something to eat. Shri Teshwar's manner was as natural as if hours and not days had separated us. Master, I must have disappointed you by my abrupt departure from my duties here. I thought you might be angry with me. No, of course not. Wrath springs only from thwarted desires. I do not expect anything from others, so their actions cannot be in opposition to wishes of mine. I would not use you for my own ends. I am happy only in your own true happiness. Sir, one hears of divine love in a vague way, but for the first time I am having a concrete example in your angelic self. In the world, even a father does not easily forgive his son if he leaves his parents' business without warning, but you show not the slightest vexation, though you must have been put to great inconvenience by the many unfinished tasks I left behind. We looked into each other's eyes where tears were shining. A blissful wave engulfed me. I was conscious that the Lord in the form of my guru was expanding the small ardors of my heart into the incomprehensible reaches of cosmic love. So what matters most is that love, right? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. That's the one rule. That's the only one you have to know and remember and follow. And everything else will take care of itself. It's a long journey. But um, just remember, God is simple. Everything else is complex. Just keep coming back to that question. What matters most? What's really trying to happen here? is we're trying to learn to love God and receive his love in return.
Come, so wait the day. My-